0: Amen. So, the title of tonight's message is Count the Stars. And we're not going to be talking about astrology. We're not going to talk about reading the stars and trying to figure out what our future is. We're not going to talk about one, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, one, two, three, four. We're going to talk about a mandate that I believe God has given us tonight. Amen. How many of you guys know what a mandate is? It's an order. It's where God says, I want you to do something. I want you to react in a certain way. I've given you this message so that you can respond to it. Amen? Everybody repeat after me. I will respond respond. to the mandate of God tonight. Amen. Genesis 15. I think of stars oftentimes. And there's been several experiences that I've had looking at stars and things like that. When me and my wife were newly married, we would put a blanket out on our in our backyard, and we would lay down, and we would kind of look at the stars, and I, I'm, I'm kind of all ADD'd out, so I look at the stars for about three seconds, and then I'm like, okay, can we go play Xbox now? You know what I mean? And, and I remember one time I was out at Jet's house hanging out. I think I was actually dropping him off because he was annoying me. <laughs> uh, and I was out at Jet's house, and, and I, it was amazing to me how different the stars look at Aaron's house than they do in the, at my house. They just look completely different. They look a lot fuller because the lights of the city and the lights of the world kind of drowned out stars and they drowned out the brightness of them. And I want to tell you something that that the world is causing you to not be able to see the stars like God has called you to see the stars. The the world is uh, stopping us from being able to have the vision that we're supposed to have. And then I think of another thing that I had growing up, and you guys probably have not experienced this. How many of you guys have owned your own computer? You have your own computer in your room. You have your own laptop. You, how many of you guys own your own computer? You have your own computer. Amen. When I was in high school, and Chris will remember what this is like, but that's probably it, Chris and John. But that's probably it. When I was in high school, we didn't all have our own computers. When I was in high school, our parents had a computer, and it cost them like $17,000. Or so they made us think every time it broke down. And they, it's a $17,000 investment you just ruined because that's what my dad talks like when he's mad that I broke his $17,000 computer, which probably really only costs like $800 to 1000 And it wasn't really an investment. It was an after Thanksgiving Day sale and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, but on computers, what used to happen, if you didn't have your own computer, and how many of you guys don't have your own computer? Raise your hand. Come on. You're not owning your own computer, people. And we understand this because something terrible happens to people that that don't have their own computer and who maybe have to use their parents' computer. And it was something that happened to me many, many times growing up is my parents would lock their computer. (laughs) My parents would lock the computer. And as they locked the computer, after two minutes of sitting idle, the computer would start to do screensavers. You guys know what screensavers are, right? Those are still part of the technology. Screensavers would pop up, and the really major, super popular screensaver was one. There was the one with the ball that bounced around. Do. Do. Except it didn't make the sound. I'm throwing that in for your entertainment so you don't get bored. Doo-doo, as it hit the corner. And you would watch that one, and you would stare at it and go, when's it going to hit the corner? When's it going to hit the corner? When's that going to happen? And it never stinking did. It always did a... And you never saw it hit the corner directly. But the other most popular screensaver that, and I think my dad did this just to mess with my mind, was the stars, right? And you feel like you're in like warp speed, hyperdrive going. The stars are, right? And you can change the setting of the stars so they can go really slow or really fast. And, and, and what happened was, if you didn't have the password, because we all have our own computers, we all have our own passwords, but when I was in high school, my parents had their password, and they didn't tell me their password. So if I didn't have the password, the only thing that I could do to entertain myself, and, and first of all, it's not like computers were all that entertaining anyways. We had like Hearts, Solitaire, and then Minesweeper, you know? So it's not like the games were all, no, you had Oregon Trail at school. I never had it on my home computer. But that was, pretty much, that was pretty much all the entertainment we have. But if your parents had happened to lock out the computer, all you had was the mouse game. Let me explain to you the mouse game. You would hope that your parents had set the stars on fast. <laughs> and you would take your mouse, because you couldn't get into the computer or play any of the cool games, you take your mouse and you crawl up the screen and try not to get hit by any of the stars. Come on, how many of you guys are glad somebody invented Halo. Because that's what we had when I was in white school. Thank God that the, that the entertainment factor has gotten a little better now, right? Amen. So count the stars. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And I want to kind of correct something, not that the Bible's wrong, but that the NIV version does not... In- Interpret this very well, but verse one where it says, Your very great reward it, uh, is better interpreted if you read it in the message. It says this, that your reward will be grand. God is saying, I am your reward. He's saying, I am what you're going to receive something from me. You're going to receive blessings from me. But he says it in a way that says that I'm not done blessing you yet. As a matter of fact, if you look at the original uh, Hebrew, it says rabah and it talks of becoming great. See, it's, Abraham was a wealthy man. We read in chapter 13 that, that he was exceedingly wealthy and that he, had, that he had become very wealthy and he had become wealthy in livestock and he had become wealthy in gold and silver. And so here's Abram. He's a very, very wealthy man and he's got all this stuff and God comes to him in a vision and says, Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I will be your great reward. Can I tell you something? God has blessed some of us in this room, but he's not done blessing us yet. See, some of us get this mindset that we've been blessed, and now it's over. Now that there's no more blessing left. That, that, you know, There's people that go to churches in their 40s and 50s, and they're just waiting for God to do renewal again. Because that was the blessing that God had, and they're just hoping that God can get back to that point to have renewal. How many of you guys have been in churches long enough to remember renewal? Lauren, is that it? I mean, I remember Renewal. And it was a very interesting time, and I was very young and didn't understand any of it. But I remember it. And I'm telling you something. I believe that God has a lot more for his church than renewal. (laughs) I believe that God has a lot more for his church than we fall down for a few hours at a time. And I'm not saying that moving in the spirit and doing those things is bad. Man, I want God to move, and I don't even want to try and control him. I want God to do whatever he wants to do. But I want to tell you something. God has more to do. He's, he's got more on his schedule holding the universe together than to just come down and knock you over so that you can laugh for a couple of hours. I mean, God wants to change your life. And the problem with renewal is that we all came to church like every stinking night of the week, and we got blessed, and it was cool for us, but we never actually reached anybody. We all just felt really good about what God was doing in our church. And we had services every night a week for like 17,000 hours. Whoa, that's filling a day, huh? We had church and every night and it was long and God did stuff and we we got blessed and all that stuff. But I want to tell you something, we never got changed because the church went back to the way it was and eventually it became even less effective than it had been before renewal. See, God, I don't think that renewal was a bad thing, but the church did not respond the way that God wanted them to. I mean, God was showing himself. He was revealing himself So that he could be revealed in the world, not so that we could feel better about our Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights. Amen. And so there's people in churches thinking that the great thing that God was going to do in their generation has already been done. See, sometimes we, and I believe this, that we go through phases of our lives where God is going to process us with blessing. Come on. You guys don't like that idea? God's going to process us with blessing. See, we talk about temptations and trials, and we talk about how we go through valleys and rough times, and we've got processes where God is tempting us and training us, and it's hard. And we're all like, oh, man, it's so hard. But can I tell you, there's also times where God wants to process us through blessing. Amen. So verse 1 says, your very great reward. And I want to tell you something. God is desiring To bless us. He said, not just now, not just in the past. See, Abram was a rich man, but God wasn't saying that this is your reward. I'm the reason you have all this stuff. But he's saying, I'm the reason you have all this stuff. I'm the reason you're going to continue to have stuff. I'm the reason you're going to continue to be blessed. It's not just about a one-time experience, a camp high. It's about being able to continually be blessed by God. Amen? Amen. So after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But... Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus, and Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. See, God is coming to Abram, and Abraham's a rich man. He's got tons of donkeys, tons of cattle, tons of gold, tons of jewels, tons of silver, and God comes to him and says, Abraham, Abram, I want to bless you. I want to give to you. I want to continually bless you. And the way that Abram responds is this, but God, I remain childless. See, Abram, throughout all the blessing, all he could focus on was what he didn't have. All he could look at and all he could see was the thing that he was missing. And so many of us spend our time focused on the stuff that we don't have. Verse 5. Actually, let's start in verse 4. Why not? Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside. I mean, up until this point, let me talk about this conversation a little bit. God comes to him in a vision inside a tent. And a tent, the tent that is here, is basically a man-made structure. So when Abram looked up, all he could see is what man was capable of doing. See, with all the stuff around here, and I believe God blessed us and we couldn't have been able to do it without God, but all the stuff that we have can be done by man. But the spirit that God brings into this place in worship can't be faked. Can't be pretended. We can't just think, oh, well, Here's a word, and this word usually works real well with people, and hope that God's spirit will go forth. See, so it's nice that we have all the cool stuff and all, all all, this, all, all these lights and pillars, and it's all very cool stuff, Pastor G. But I want to tell you something. That's all stuff that man can do, and man does do truthfully better than us. I I walked in here Sunday, and how many of you guys came to Easter service on Sunday, Resurrection service? Amen. That looked so stinking cool, man. It was just awesome. And I was thinking, dude, there is no building in the world cooler than our building. I had a guy who I worked for, with for like a year pull up to the church the other day, and I'm like, dude, you just got to see the building. You just got to see how cool it is. And he walked in, and he was like, all right. I'm like, dude, do you not see it? And I'm like, man, if you would have seen it before, if you would have seen how ugly it was, you know, I'm not saying that what God gave us wasn't good enough, but come on. Let's call a spade a spade. The church was ugly and we needed to do some stuff to it. i like, if you could have seen how ugly it was, and he was just like, well, that's kind of cool. You got some TVs up there. I was like, what are you talking about? And I'm thinking, this is the coolest building ever. We're going to have the biggest youth ministry ever because there's nobody in the entire stinking United. People are going to come from Idaho <laughs> because our building is just so cool. And God... And I walked into this building today, and I called Chris right when I got out. And I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. This, building, this office building that I walked into was just like, wow, why don't we do that at our church? That's awesome, you know? Because the world can do this better, but the world cannot give you the spirit of God. The world can do the lights. The world can do the pictures. The world can do all the things, but the world cannot give you God. The world cannot give you the spirit of God. So we don't rely on lights. We don't rely on technology. We rely on God and God's spirit to move and God's spirit to reach your friends. I don't care if you tell them we got cool lights and that's why they come. Because when they get here, they're going to feel the presence of God. And they'll make a choice whether or not to ignore it or to receive it. But God had to take him outside of the man-made structure. Because when Abram looked up, all he saw was man-made stuff. When Abram looked up, all he saw was what man was capable of doing. So God takes him outside. Because outside was something that man could not do. See, it was necessary to take Abram outside because if he looked up inside, what he would see was what man was capable of doing. Abraham was no longer able to do what God was saying he was supposed to do. God said, you're going to have a son. And Abram thought, not going to happen. I'm going to hand everything I have, all my riches, all these things, all your blessings, God. I'm going to hand this off to, to this guy who works for me. So I, don't have, I, I I don't have anybody to hand this off to. And he's in there, and he's looking around, and all he can see is what man's capable of doing. And he looks at his own life, and all he can see is what man's capable of doing. And he realizes, if you do some research on this, you understand that Abraham is like 85 years old when this conversation happens. Get your eyes off of your man-made structure and get your eyes on the God-made structure. Amen, and I want to read this. This is the, the scripture that we've been building up to, the scripture that we've been leading to, and it says, look up at the heavens. Keep your eyes focused on God. Look up, look up. Don't look at your tent. Don't focus on what you can and can't do, and it says, count the stars. God pulls them outside of his tent It says, count the stars. Let's break down the story so far. God comes to him in a vision, right? God comes to him in a vision. God comes to him in a vision and tells him that he's going to bless the socks off of him. Which, by the way, that whole statement, bless your socks off, I don't get. I'm going to be honest with you because I've lost socks in the dryer and never felt blessed about it. So I don't understand the statement, bless your socks off. But God comes to him and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to continue to bless you. I'm going I'm to give you a year where all I do is just pour stuff on you. You're gonna be, it's going to be so awesome. You're going to have my blessing all over you. And it says that Abraham doesn't really believe him, so he takes him outside and tells him to count the stars. And then I think the NIV is the coolest version for this because the NIV throws this thing in there, a dash. How many of you guys got NIV? You see the dash? You know what that dash, I think, is God's pause. Count the stars. I wonder how long Abram tried. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine hundred ninety-six, nine 996, 997, 10,322. 10,323. So here's God's pause. Here's God's break. And he says, count the stars. He tells him to do something impossible. With all of the stuff and all of the technology and all the satellites and all the things that we've got, we still aren't totally sure how many stars are in the sky right now. And and here's God telling Abram, who all he's got is his two eyes looking up in the sky, count the stars. He calls him to do something impossible. So Abraham's sitting here counting the stars, and God Let's him count the stars, and then he says, if you can. See, God told, gave him an impossible task so that he would look at it. It was an illustration so that he would realize that God was calling him to an impossible task within himself. But the Bible says this about God. Lift up your eyes on high and see the one who has created these stars, the one who leads them forth in their host by number he calls them all by name because the greatness of his might and the strength of his power not one of them is missing and uh, that's Isaiah 40 verse 26 and Psalms 147 4 says this that he counts the number of the stars and he gives names to them all so God not only counts the stars he names them See, he understands something that for Abram this was an impossible task, but for God, it was something that He would he had already done. That he had already known. He could have just given Abram the answer. He could have just said, there's 426 billion, 396 million, Point three, nice. He could have just given him the answer, but he waits and he tries to let Abraham figure it out on his own that he was calling him to do something that was impossible. God has called you to do the impossible. Amen. Moses took down the most powerful nation on the face of the earth with what? A stick. Come on now, tell me that's not. We look at that and we think, oh, that's a nice story, but understand that it actually happened. And how Comfortable and how confident you think Moses went walking into Pharaoh with a stick. Come on, man. Moses took down the most powerful nation on the face of the earth with a stick. David brought down Goliath with a sling and a stick. I want to kind of review the story of David because I was reading it and I found something very, very cool in it today. How many of you guys kind of understand this story of David? Big, big mean guy comes out Starts talking trash about the Israelites. Says, you send out a champion. You send out somebody to fight me. Bring it on. You know, whatever. And all these people, all the Israelites are scared and worried. And they're, they're wondering about what, what's going to happen. And who wants to fight him. And oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And in comes David. And I've heard people say that David was not a boy. But the Bible says David was a boy. <laughs> I love the people who like try and make points. And they say, well, David wasn't a boy. He, in, in, in Israel time, you're not considered a man until you're like 13. So David, I'm just like, you talking about dude they don't they don't let you do things until you're 33 so david was actually probably in his mid-20s i'm just like shut up dude it says right in the bible don't read too much into it. it says he was a boy and he's this little kid dennis the menace with a slingshot and a stick coming out to fight this giant and the incredible thing is he actually wins against this giant Yao Ming, but stronger he actually wins and the giant falls down, he cuts his head. As he's marching out, I'm sorry, as he's marching out to meet the giant, he makes a statement that i I've probably read a hundred times, but it really stood out to me today when I read it. He makes a statement. He talks about how I, I don't come at you with a stick and with stone, or I, I don't come at you with this thing, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God, who today will help me defeat you. And this is the statement that God really brought out to me today, so that people will know that there is a God in Israel. See, God has called us to do the impossible, to reach the impassable. Write that down. We've been called to do the impossible, to reach the impassable, to reach the people that won't be moved, to to reach the people that we couldn't just do on our own, to reach the people that we look at and think it's impossible. They'll never come to church with me. See, God is calling you to do the impossible. You're like, well, Pastor Chief, that's kind of crazy, man. What do you mean God is calling me to do something impossible? That's sick. That's twisted. Why would God call me to do something that I can't do? Because if he calls you to do something that you can't do, then you have to rely on him. And then when it happens, you'll actually give glory to God. Because the problem is there's ministries all over the world that are built up because of someone's charisma and someone's ability, and they start taking all the glory for what has happened. And God is saying, I've called a generation to do the impossible so that when they accomplish it, the world will know that there's a God. Come on, man. Give me something better than that. God is calling you to do something that you can't do. Look at the hardest circumstance that you've faced. Look at the hardest thing that you're going through and realize that God has called you to accomplish the thing that you feel like you can't accomplish. The friend, the family member that you look at and you say, I'll never be able to reach them. God is saying, I've called you to reach them. The fact that you have been called to reach your school and you think, I'm just one person. I can't affect, I can't change this generation. How am I supposed to do that? Can I tell you that God has called you to do the impossible? Count the stars. Amen. Tonight is not a night where I want you to feel bad. I I want you to, you know, repent and cry at the altars for hours. But tonight is a night where I want us to look at our lives and realize that we can tell those mountains to move. Tonight is a night that I want us to look at the situations we're going through, stare them right in the eyes with the confidence knowing that our God is behind us, and cut them down and know that once the mountains have been moved, and once we've made it through, that the world will know that there's a God. That the world will know that the God that we serve is the God who created the heavens and the earth. See, we need to do the impossible to reach the impassable. Chapter 12 says that the reason why God was blessing Abram was so that he could bless the whole world. If your vision is something you can do, it's time to get a new vision. If your call is something you can do, it's time to get a new call. New Bible doesn't close very well. If it's something that we can accomplish in and of ourselves and on our own, it's time to get a new call. Amen. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute.